0: Okay, um, this is weird because normally I don't know if you know this, but I usually sit at the back. Sorry, I usually sit at the back and and take notes on whoever's talking, and then I put them up on Instagram, and people generally ignore them. Um, but this week, obviously, because I'm talking, I don't think I could do that at the same time, so I did them ahead of time. <laughs> okay, um, so I have no excuses at all for not knowing what I'm saying because I've looked it up beforehand. Um, Can I just say, I've I've spoken at churches a wee while, it's been a long time since I spoke on a Sunday morning, um, about three or four years, and I've never felt such support and such kind of warmth and such encouragement from people as I have this morning. It's been really, really good, because anxiety has been a thing that has dogged me over the last few years, and it's one of the reasons why I haven't spoken to church for a long time, Uh, but this morning it's just felt like kind of people are on my side, which is lovely, so thank you for that, for all the folks who've prayed for me. Uh, and have said nice things and have been encouraging and have said stuff or played videos or s- written and sang songs, which just kind of time beautifully with what God 's put on my heart this morning. feeling that feeling, of, that, feeling of, sorry, <laughs> that feeling of everything kind of coming together and just sort of making sense in my head at any rate, whether it makes sense in anyone else's is another matter, Uh, is really encouraging, so thank you very much for that. Uh, We're going to be looking at a bit of the Bible. We're looking through Ephesians uh, over a course of Sunday mornings. Now, just to give you a bit of background, Andy did explain a little bit, but if you weren't here last week, um, I'll just give you a quick rundown on Ephesians. Some of you may have been to Ephesus on your holidays. Put your hand up if you've ever been to Ephesus. Right. What country is it in? Turkey, what country did it used to be in? Before that. Apparently it was in Greece. When Paul was around, it was in Greece. I looked this up on Google, so it must be true. (laughs) Now, either they took Ephesus apart brick by brick and moved it on rollers and put it in Turkey, or they moved the map a little bit and put, I think that's probably the latter. Anyway, that's where it was. It was quite a big deal in its day. I don't know what it's like now. I've never been. Is there anyone who's been to Ephesus who put your hand up earlier on? Was it nice? Yeah. yeah. What's that Ephesus, Fiona? Uh, lots of ruins and Hadrian's Arch, like the Emperor Hadrian. Hadrian yeah. Spooky. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a massive library that used to be there, Roman. And- cool. So an important place. Very important in its time. Anyway, uh, so that's a bit of the background about where it was. Um now Paul visited Ephesus, he lived there for about three years and he, he popped in from time to time. Paul wrote quite a big chunk of the New Testament in the Bible, um, we talk about the Bible quite a lot here, uh, and Paul wrote, about, uh, wrote letters to people all the time. Now he didn't write letters like, uh, when was the last time anyone here, I used to be a teacher, this will be coming apparent quite soon, that I like audience participation, okay? I also like to sit up and you need to tuck your shirts in and not make any noise, um, <laughs> Particularly you. Um, put your ha- What was I going to ask you? Letters. Put your hand up, please, at the last t- if, if in the last month you have handwritten a letter to anybody. Ooh. That's kind of blowing that cunning little in, but never mind. <laughs> I was about to say, oh, all we do is send texts and emails. right? We write letters. Right, could anyone care to share who they wrote a letter to, assuming it's not um, too personal? <laughs> Selena. Sorry? Your aunt. Your aunt. Oh, your aunt. Selina's from London, Um, she speaks properly, aunt, Um, although she ought to say aunt, because she's actually from further north, never mind, okay, um, and was was that a business letter, or was it just kind of a thank you letter, a thank you letter, who remembers thank you letters, who remembers your mum saying, you can't play with that toy until you've written a letter of thanks to auntie, whoever it was that gave it to you, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, maybe that was just me. Um, so people don't write letters as much, obviously, some people do, but not as much as we do. But Paul used to write letters, and it, was, it wasn't like those Christmas letters. You know those Christmas letters you get at Christmas from people with wonderful children and fabulous holidays and stellar careers who you just hate? <laughs> Tarquin, is eleven, he But he's already won his PhD. He got it when we all went camping in the Himalayas last summer. <laughs> so Paul wrote letters like that. Well, no, he didn't write Letters like that. At all. no, he he was quite often in jail when he wrote them. Maybe it's a, f- a long time since anyone here received a letter from a prisoner. Ooh, that's quite and all down a wee bit. This is good. There's a, here's a thought for somebody today, completely out of the blue. Maybe you need to find a prisoner somewhere and write to them. Yeah, there are various organisations, the Prison Fellowship and lots of others, where you can find uh, safe accountable ways to write to prisoners and encourage them and tell them about Jesus and what's going on. Okay, that's that's the sidebar. But Paul quite often ended up in the pokey, um, not for doing anything particularly bad, but just because he loved Jesus and he wanted to tell people about them and people didn't like that. And he was a bit argumentative as well. So, but Paul would write letters to people all around the, the, the known world, as it was called in those days, which was around about the med. And he would basically tell them things about being church, about what it was like to develop and grow as community and as life in church. And Ephesians was a church that he liked. Now, Paul's letters kind of fall basically into two camps. The first one is, (coughs) I think we should talk. Um, And he would kind of give people a bit of a telling off, saying, uh, see that thing you're doing? Don't do that. Why not? No, just don't do that. It's not good. Do this instead. All right, okay. And other times he would write letters to people and say, you know what you're doing? That's really, really good. That's really brilliant. You need to do more of that. You should do some more. And Ephesus kind of falls into the latter category there. He's basically writing to Ephesians to say, well done, this is all going quite well, but... And we're going to come into this at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15. Andy covered the kind of initial greetings. We do tend to gloss over the initial greetings because we just think it's like, hello. I mean, what we heard last week from Andy proves that you should read the beginnings of all Paul's letters as well. Because just the way he says hello to people, how are you, how are you doing, is just awesome. If we greeted everybody like that, blimey. Anyway, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 19. We're going to read this from the New Living Translation. As if by magic, it has appeared on the wall behind me. Brilliant. Okay, I'll I'll read it out this way. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. I have to stop there because if I went on to the next bit, we'd be here for weeks so someone else can do that and try and shrink all of that down into Sunday morning but I thought I would stop before that Okay. so when I was reading through this I kind of thought of JML adverts I mean you were all thinking that too weren't you? I can see you doing oh yes, yes, we are on the same wavelength that's exactly what I was thinking Um, I don't know if these adverts are still on telly or if people watch the shopping channel put your hand up if you watch any of the million and one shopping channels nobody's going to admit to it are they? Not in charge (laughs) No, 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 I, I, pay, I hear people who buy those things, not, not, not me, no, I prefer to shop local and give my money to local people, <coughs> I don't buy anything on, on, anyone ever bought anything on the shopping channel, even just sort of, you know, technically for experimental purposes to see what it's like, to examine the process, <laughs> Jan, what did you, oh, can I ask what you bought, what, bulbs, bulbs in the ground or bulbs from the ceiling, bulbs in the ground, and did they flourish and grow beautifully? Excellent, okay, all right. Now, some of us, before shopping channels and before 145 different TV channels, would just watch television and there was four channels, maybe even three. I remember when there was only two. I remember when Channel 4 started getting really excited. Paul Coya, remember Paul Coya? First voice, he's Scottish. First voice on Channel 4. Sorry? Heckling? No? You, you know Paul. You, Fiona, you probably do know Paul Coya. You do, you do, you know everybody. Right. Anyway, okay, um, but there used to be adverts on telly, especially late at night, when the kind of proper advertisers had run out of money or thought there was nobody watching, and they would try and sell you things, like for instance a pen. So there would be that, the Fantastic Pen by the Fantastic Pen Company. I'm making this up as I go along, you might be guessed. And basically they would say, this is a fantastic pen. It's really, really good. It's a great pen. You can write with it. You can write letters with it. You can jot down numbers when somebody phones you up. All these kind of really convoluted and kind of strained things that you can do with a pen. And then they would say, just when you were about to say, like, oh, good, it's a really good pen. I think I might buy the pen. they say, but not only do you get the pen, you also get the propelling pencil. And you go, You get a pen and a propelling pencil. How exciting. So I can now write letters, but now I can do little sketches and rub stuff out as well. Not only, though, do you get the pen and the propelling pencil, you also get a titanium pencil case with a little groove made out of foam inside to put your pens and pencils in. And the thing shuts with a magnetic clasp, and it's really, really cool. And you can get it engraved with your name. But not only do you get that, if you buy 17 of them, they'll send you a commemorative dish towel. And it just goes on and on and on. By the time, you're just like, I'm not going to be able to carry all this stuff home. Good job, I'm buying it online. And it's going to arrive in 10 easy installments of £35 each. (laughs) At a very competitive rate of interest. Anyway, so, that's what I was thinking. No one else was thinking that when they read that then, no? Just me? Oh, okay. right, I'll explain my thinking then. There's like three stages in what Paul's was saying. I'll just go back and check my notes because I need to know what I'm saying. He starts off by telling the Ephesians that he's heard good things about them. Right? I've heard what's going on. They are solid in the faith and they trust God. That's a nice thing to hear about somebody, isn't it? Yes? Nod sagely. Good. And then he says, and you love God's people. I've heard about how solid in the faith you are and how much you trust God and that you love God's people everywhere. That's pretty cool, right? If somebody said that about your church, you'd think, yeah, that's it. We're okay. We love God's people. We trust God. It's very good. And Paul says, I thank God every time I think about you. That's nice. So that's stage one, okay? That's basically the nice pen. And you're thinking, well, that good. that's good, That's I can write my letters, that's good, I'm sorted, everything's nice, I trust God, I've got faith, I, um, I love God's people. There you go. I'm here. Super. But then he goes on to say, there's more. He wants them to have more. He says, I want you to have wisdom and insight, discernment. He wants them to know stuff. And not just so they can win pub quizzes, he's not just asking for kind of a download of general knowledge or the British Prime Ministers from, you know, the turn of the century or what is it they say in Pointless, uh, sovereign states recognized by the United Nations in their own right. Um, I, is it just me? I'm the person that wants I can practically recite the script from Pointless. You've beaten everybody else. You've made it to the head to head. Anyway, sorry. Um, so, stage two. He wants them to have power. Not just so they can impress people with how clever they are. It's not that kind of wisdom. It's wisdom from God, wisdom from the Holy Spirit, wisdom that says, hang on, God wants you to know this. This is going to stop you in the tracks. This is scaring me telling you, but this is what God wants you to know. That kind of wisdom, that kind of, um, the kind of wisdom that makes you stop when you're walking down the road and turn around to chase after somebody say, Excuse me, you don't know me, and I'm not weird, honest, but maybe I am, but you need to know this. It makes sort of wisdom that gives you insight into the woman at the checkout who's, got, who's sitting a bit uncomfortably. And you ask if you can pray for her. And she says, Yes. And you kind of go, Oh, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting a haughty rebuffle, but okay. I'll pray for you anyway. That's the kind of wisdom that Paul's asking them to have. That's kind of scary. it's really, really exciting as well. So he wants them to have spiritual wisdom for the, from the Holy Spirit. He wants them to get to know God better. Wisdom's all about knowledge. It's all about knowing God, knowing and understanding what he wants to do in the world, knowing the kind of changes he wants you to affect in your own life and in the lives of other people. And you think, "Ooh, cool, that's good. So not only am I solid in the faith and in trust, not only do I love God's people, but I'm going to get wisdom and discernment and insight as well. That's me. I'm sorted. Cool. That's it. Show me where to go. But Paul says, no, you've got the pen, you've got the compelling pencil, but you don't have the pencil case. So we're going to get the pencil case. And the pencil case is this. There's more. Paul doesn't just want them to be smart about God. He wants them to change their hearts. And this is the bit that really kind of hit me in the face when I read it. It's verse... Is it there? Oh, it is! That's there at the top in big letters. Let your hearts be flooded with light. I'm just going to let that hang for a minute. Let your hearts be flooded with light. Now, I have a kind of Hollywood special effects kind of thing in my head whenever I hear things like that, and I just saw somebody going... A light just bursting out of... them. Sorry. Because you, you can't have your light, your, your heart flooded with light and it stay there. You know, your heart's not big enough. It's going to explode. It's going to erupt out of your chest. And I just had this vision of people all around Ephesus or maybe all around Carlisle, all down Scotland Street. And there's like power just zapping from one person to another through the back out to that. Pff, more light. Pff, the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one. And all these dots that we see joined up we talk about joining the dots up in Kailai all the time because we see it happening. It's amazing, but it's like that. <laughs> that it's all going on in my head. It looks fabulous. <laughs> you know, if I could just do that stuff with a computer, it would be awesome. But you just have to take my word for it. It looks really, really cool. And that's what Paul's saying. This, this is the next thing up, right? Trusting in God, loving God's people—that's nice. You know, basically turning up. That's okay. And then the second thing about wanting to get discernment and wisdom and find out what God wants, that's good. But all of a sudden, (coughs) that's amazing. It's like somebody turned on the big light. I love when Peter Kay talks about the big light. Peter Kay is a kind of prophet for our times, I think. Because every time he says something, the whole world goes, yes! And he talks about the big light. You know how um, everybody in their front room has a big light, which you never put on unless you lose something? You know, you, you drop the back off an earring or 5P, people still use 5Ps, or some other small thing, and then you think, oh, I can't see it, turn on the big light, somebody rushes over to the wall. And you want something that Igor would be proud of. <laughs> uh, you don't really want to I be mean, you want to, <laughs> and you want to hear a noise when the lights come on, like the warehouses in, um, what is it, Raiders of the last Ark. Right, that's the kind of effect that God wants for your heart we have lovely light bulbs in here we have these achingly trendy little kind of filament things which are beautiful but God doesn't want that kind of light in your heart you want something that says glasses, quick welding helmets probably you know, I can't see it's so bright that's the kind of light he wants to put in you and if that's the kind of light that God's going to put in your heart what's it going to be like for everybody that lives around you dazzling amazing And how will that affect how you live? I'll leave that up to you, really, because you can probably imagine. If wisdom and discernment gets you to interrupt the lives of other people and tell them stuff from God, if your heart is flooded with light, what are you going to be able to do? The bit that I'm not talking about, the bit where I've stopped, talks about the power that brought Jesus back from the dead. That same power is the power. (coughs) And you think, whew, that is awesome. That's the kind of life that we... Let's face it, we all want that, don't we? We don't want to just be sort of faithful and trusting and loving God's people because, yeah, that's easy. We want this. The trouble is with these three stages, we tend to see stages. When we talks about stage one, stage two, stage three, we tend to think of rockets and we tend to think once you're up from stage one, it's gone. Stage two is now on and it's gone in stage three and you stay there. The problem with this kind of stage thing is that we tend to hop around a little bit and sometimes we just think, actually... I'm here, is that not good enough? I've made it, I've got myself out of bed I've turned up, I'm here I'm pretending to love God's people so long as I don't ask anything too personal and I'm going to trust God that it's going to get better soon so we have that kind of relationship and sometimes we feel like other times it's going to I have to do this with one hand Sometimes it feels like that, and we think, wow, that's it. I could not be more alive. Jesus could not be more real. The Holy Spirit could not be more powerful in my life. Things are happening. My friends are becoming Christians. People are listening to what I'm saying and actually agreeing. People are getting healed. And it's amazing. And then we kind of fluctuate and we've gotten down. But I just want to rewind a little bit. Because there's one thing I haven't yet talked about. And it's written all the way through this verse. It's right there, second word. I pray. If we look all the way through the bit that I just read, having just turned it over, which was really clever. Never mind. Uh, da, 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 da. When I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's glorious people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Does anyone here pray for anybody constantly? Good. Okay. Pray, Paul prayed. I don't know if he prayed for them all by name constantly or just in general terms. Uh, probably in general terms, I thought it would take a long time because he didn't just write to the Ephesians, he wrote to lots of other people. But later on he says, I pray for you constantly asking God for that, uh, to give you spiritual wisdom. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. So all the way through this, all of these stages, did he say to the Ephesians, if you want this, just bid me £25.95 a month over the next six months at a reasonable rate of interest, and it can be yours. Did he say you must fast a lot? Did he say you must give all your money to the poor? It's not a bad thing. Did he say you've got to open a, a restoration cafe? Did he say you've got to go on mission somewhere? Did he say you've got to give money? Did he say you've got to dig a big hole and put water in it and grow flowers? Did he say anything at all about what the Ephesians had to do to get any of this? No. All he said was, I pray for you. How many people here are thinking that being a Christian is a solitary occupation? That it's just you. It's you against the world. Sometimes it feels like that. I'm very alone. Nobody else I know is a Christian. Nobody else I work with is a Christian. Nobody else in my house is a Christian. Nobody else at school is a Christian. It's just me. I think a lot of us go go through a, a feeling of... Or a season of loneliness when it comes to a Christian. world. and Paul's basically saying, no, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray constantly for one another. And that's what really, really struck me after the bit about the <laughs> and I'd come calmed down from that. I just suddenly thought. Paul is praying for these people all the time. That's the only way this is going to happen for them. Now, I'm not saying it's not the only way. Of course you can develop your own spiritual relationship with God. You can increase the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can welcome the Holy Spirit to do more in your heart than he's doing on your own. But it's so much easier if there's other people rooting for you. It's so much easier if there's a whole squad of people who, before you do anything, will sit down and pray with you and say, I think you're going to be good this morning. This is going to be fantastic. We're really rooting for God to do stuff. It's really good that you can meet once a week with people and sit down with them and talk to one another about the plans you've got for the rest of the week. And they're going to say, yes, we will encourage you with that. We will pray for you with that. We'll pray about your work. We'll pray about your family. That's fellowship. That's discipleship. That's what prayer meetings are for. And that's one of the things I really kind of wanted to dig out of this was that it's all fine and well saying I can do this on my own. But we probably can't. Let's face it. You know, we will spend most of our time rooting around at stage one, thinking, "I'm just trying my best to be trusting here," and I'm just trying my best to turn up. I hope nobody notices anything. If we want to get to stage three, you know, if we want the pencil case to continue the tortured analogy, if you want to get to that level where it's, <laughs> you've got to do it with the support of your friends. You've got to do that with people who will champion you. And I'm really, I'm trying. I want to flip this round. Really, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about who you're praying for. Okay. This is not about what you can get, it's about what you can give. How can you support the people that you love and care for? When was the last time you prayed for another Christian and said to them, I want your heart to be flooded with light, I want you to be full of wisdom, I want you to be full of discernment? Most of the times we pray for other people, we want them to be happy, we want them to be well, there's nothing wrong with being happy and well, let me just add. We want them to have that better day at work, we want them to have a bit more influence where where they're, they're doing whatever it is they do. But Paul would just go straight to fact every time I think about you, I thank God for you, and I want you to be wiser. I want you to be more full of God. I want you to know more about what you're saying. I want you to be able to then take that somewhere else and do amazing things with it. Imagine what would happen if we all really prayed like that for one another regularly. We would like to think it would make a difference. Yes, good, good, sorry. As the teacher in me, I keep wanting people to respond. So, I think that's the important thing, that we pray for one another. And we are going to do that in a minute, we are going to pray for one another. But something occurred to me this morning, just before we started, and it was uh, Claire. She played that song by Sam Smith. He's got a lovely voice, hasn't he? What a singer. Um, and that thing about not even being at stage one. Not even knowing who Jesus really is, but just knowing you need him. Just knowing there's a big hole. And it's dark. And it needs to be lit up. It needs... For the first time. Belting straight in. So we'll pray for you too. But we need to pray for one another. We need to pray that God will do amazing stuff in each of our lives. We are not, I hope, content to let everybody else in this room just get by with Jesus. If that's where you're at, if you're basically saying, I don't really care if the people I'm sitting down here this morning are on fire with Jesus or are, are full of the Holy Spirit are doing powerful and amazing things with our lives or are having community with him in amazing ways, I don't care about that. If you don't care about that, maybe you need to go somewhere else. Because really, we are here to see Jesus at his best. Aren't we? When Jesus said, you want, I'll bring you life and life to the fool. He didn't say just life to the ordinary or life to the enough or life to c- comfortable. He said to the fool. You know, it's just, I mean, you know, it's awesome. It's absolutely good. I think I should stop talking now. I haven't looked at Catherine one student you know, this because she's always at the back going, That's, uh, So I haven't looked at her. So you've got to have ignored her. But I've said everything I need to say. I think, apart from one thing, I would like us to pray for one another. I think that's really, really, I can't really talk about praying for one another and then we can't pray for one another. That's really key. The practical element of today's lesson is that we're going to do it. And you do not need to be at any one of these particular stages in order to pray for one another. We don't know how Paul was feeling when he wrote that to Ephesians. He was probably in jail somewhere, probably feeling a bit rubbish, probably eating terrible food, probably chained to a wall, it was chafing terribly, probably getting visiting by people all the time who just wanted to kind of hang out with him because he was kind of a cool prisoner. Strange thing that happened to Paul. He might have been having a rotten day but he still prayed for people. So we're going to do that. Um, I was going to say something that's completely gone. Obviously it wasn't right. Okay, so how do we do that? That was a question because I haven't really thought this bit out at all. Okay, if you would like somebody... To, now, uh, hang on. Okay, let's, let's, let's turn this around the other way. If you are willing to pray for somebody that their hearts will be flooded with light, that they will be full of wisdom and discernment. If, if you are willing to pray that for somebody else right here and right now today, will you stand up, please? Okay, dokie. Didn't quite know what to do if everybody stands up. All right, okay. Right, um... Okay, some of you are going to have to just pray for one another whether you like it or not, okay? Um, If you're not stood up, but you want that, if you want somebody just to hold your hand, put their hand on your shoulder, do whatever's appropriate, depending on the gender mix of the arrangements, um, if that's you, go and find somebody, or if you're standing next to somebody who's sitting down and they look like they want to be prayed for, pray for them. Do we want to do something musical while we do this? Yeah? Okay. Okay. Oh, yes, the thing, the thing, has come back to me. Right, okay. Um, now, I'm going to give my age away something chronic here. Um, put your hand up if you remember a singer called Chris Rhea. See, all the over-50s and students of music are putting their hands up. <coughs> now, Chris Rhea was, um, did you know he played slide guitar on all the Deacon Blues' first album? Just in case you thought that. He also wrote Fool If You Think It's Over. So he was almost a soul singer before he started doing things like Road to Hell and Driving Home for Christmas. Anyway, he had a greatest hits album years and years ago, and he called it New Light Through Old Windows. And that phrase, New Light Through Old Windows, has been bouncing around in my head now for about a month and will not go away. So I thought, well, if I speak it out, maybe it will leave my head alone, which is as close to claiming it as prophetic as I'm prepared to go right now. Um, But I think there's somebody here who this is for, and I was explaining it to Catherine in the car on the way down, and I've talked to somebody else about it this morning as well, just trying to figure out what it means in my head. What Chris Rear did was he produced a Greatest Hits album, he called it New Light Through Old Windows, but he didn't just take all the old tapes, slap them onto a CD or whatever it was at the time, probably vinyl, and send it out into the big wide world. He went back into a recording studio, he got some of the original musicians and some new ones, and he rearranged and he replayed and he re-recorded all his Greatest Hits so he took the stuff that was old, the stuff that was traditional, the stuff that was perhaps part of his history, for better or for worse, and he turned it into something new and good. And the, the idea that fell into my head this morning as I was explaining this to Mrs Wilson was that there are maybe people here who have been in a church tradition that they feel has not done them good. And they might have been in a church for a long time And they're coming out at the end of that thinking, well, that was not good for me. That was a bad experience. And it's something that I don't look back on fondly and I'd rather forget than remember. And I think God is maybe saying to you, you need to look at that experience again. Because it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all painful. There were good people doing good things who prayed for you and who worshipped with you and God was teaching you and you were learning stuff right the way through that process. And you need to shine a bit of light through that old experience, those old windows, and see what God has really done.